If you have early onset dementia and you're in your 40s or 50s and you're at the height of your earning power and raising a family, employees don't want to disclose that they have dementia. They're afraid they're going to lose their jobs. Hi, I'm Bobby, a certified caregiving consultant and educator, a caregiver support group leader, and an international presenter on how to respond to dementia behaviors. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I'm a certified caregiver advocate and a certified music therapist. And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here we focus on the caregiver, offer our practical insights, and share some emotional support. And we might even share a laugh or two, because we all know laughter is the best medicine. And don't forget the wine, Mike. Oh, won't forget your grape juice. (laughs) I appreciate that. So many times in the past and uh, on the podcast and also in person when you do your uh, presentations, you, you talk about the need for dementia and dementia care awareness and how it needs to be better represented in corporate America. I mean, absolutely. When we consider how many millions of people are now being affected and people can't afford to leave their jobs and at the same time that they're caregiving. And now we're learning about people with, you know, early onset staying in, in the working world. It's become more and more important that we reach out to employers. And that brings us to today's guest, who is a college professor and has worked in higher education for the last 15 years and is a former program chair, director, and business school dean. He is completing his dissertation research at Fielding Graduate University, working on his PhD in human and organizational systems. His study is entitled Dementia in the Workplace, the Employee Experience After Diagnosis. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Christopher Springall. Hi, Chris. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. How are you? If I was any better, I'd be a twin. (laughs) <laughs> and that proves there is a God because I'm not a twin. <laughs> well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. I actually um, connected with Bobby a few weeks ago because I am currently recruiting participants for my for my dissertation study. I was looking for either employees who are currently working and diagnosed with dementia or employees diagnosed with dementia who had to leave work no longer employed because of dementia. And Bobby reached back out to me and said, I, you know, sounds interesting. I'd love to have you on the podcast. So here I am. <laughs> and we're glad for it. So talk to us about your caregiving experience. Yeah. So my mother-in-law, uh, who lives in Florida with my father-in-law, they're both in their 80s. My mom has dementia and um, she's been she was diagnosed a few years ago. And so um, there are four daughters in the family. They're all married, and three of them live in Florida. My wife and I are here in Connecticut. And so from a caregiving perspective, there's been a lot of long-distance type of caregiving and, and advice and monitoring and uh, on our part and trying to better understand and help out as best we can from Connecticut. Uh, my in-laws have family obviously down in Florida and so they're all working full time and it's difficult to find time to actually uh, spend a lot of time and, and help out. My father-in-law is, is very independent, um, uh, does everything himself. And so uh, it's just a matter of keeping an eye on mom, making sure um, that she doesn't 
walk outside the house and go for a little walk and forget where she is. Um, she certainly can't drive anymore. And um, we, my wife and I have gone to Florida several times uh, in the past year. Uh, we stayed for a few months trying to help out and, and do some of the mundane tasks, help out with laundry and cleaning and staying with mom so dad can go out and do his thing and keeping mom engaged during the day. It's difficult to have that engagement because I think a lot of times uh, people with dementia are isolated. Uh, others don't know how to uh, engage people with dementia and what to say, what not to say, what's going to happen. So trying to keep that engagement going and keep, keep her somewhat active and, and doing things. And um, I don't think we realized how much work that really is and, and the amount of work that my father-in-law has to do on a daily basis. And some of that is just keeping in mind where mom is, you know, what's she doing? You know, what's she working on? You know, is she by the stove? Is she, um, you know, outside? Is she sitting or did she, you know, go for a walk and we have alarms on the doors. And um, so you hear, when you hear that little alarm, you're always looking around saying, right, who's coming, who's coming or who's going, you know? So, um, so it's been, um, you know, it, we learned a lot. We learned a lot about ourselves and, and our tolerances and our patience um, or impatience, I should say. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> yeah. Um, but caregiving, uh, and although I've studied caregiving, actually being a part of it and seeing it happen, um, I can certainly understand how quickly caregiver burden uh, rears its ugly head and the impact it can have to someone's mental and physical health. So, um, you know, even people who work in, in care homes every single day and have done for years and they do an absolutely amazing job in, in reacting to the dementia behaviors in, in their residents, they find when it's their own family member, all of that goes out the window because they have established relationships with that person. And we look at them and we expect them to be the same. And they're not. And one of the one of the things that I really work at is getting people to understand how to respond to dementia behaviors and what it means. Because so many of us walk into it not knowing what to expect, and that, and so the and and we had this. You know, one of the um, the symptoms of dementia, and this is probably the most common symptom, is apathy. Uh, not wanting to do things, not wanting to, you know, go anywhere. And, and you know, it's, it's funny. My father will tell my mom, let's go for a drive. We'll go to the store. And that sometimes she'll say yes. Most of the times it's, do I have to go? <laughs> and when she does say yes, we get to the, they get to the store. She just wants to sit in the car. Can we just stay in the car? You go shopping. And no, you can't sit in the car in Florida, you know, especially in the summertime. <laughs> so, um, you know, but you know, trying to get her to do things sometimes is, is, a, is, a, is an effort. Well, all of that input, all of that input of being in a strange place with different people around, different sights, different smells can be very overwhelming. Yeah, it can be. And, you know, and, and, and sometimes you need to put that effort because you want her to get out of the house. You want to engage her in something different than just sitting around, you know, and um, sometimes when she says, yes, I want to go, we get excited, let's go. And then once we get to the place, she doesn't want to go in. So it's just that it's, it's sometimes it's a constant effort to try to keep her engaged and, and, and have her see a different environment than, you know, the same house and the same porch and, you know, staring at the same trees all the time. And, 
it can be very frustrating. And, and I can understand where my father-in-law uh, can have many frustrations because it's just, um, you know, he's pretty much doing everything. And, Absolutely. Um, but, you know, independence and privacy are very important for them. And so, uh, as it is for many people. So, you know, it's, um, you don't just always want to bring strange people into the house all the time. You, you certainly want to do as much as you can. At least some of us want to do as much as we can for as long as we can. Well, I hope he has a support system. Um, and there's, there's, a, there's a lot online, including podcasts like this one and, you know, caregiver support groups that are either in-person or virtual. I have a virtual one. I moved from in-person during COVID and choose to keep it so I, get, I have bigger outreach. So there are resources there for him. Yeah, and there is a lot, there is a lot of support. I mean, the family is very close. Oh, that's good. And as much as they can, um, there's certainly, you know, support. And, um, you know, they're lucky from that perspective because everybody lives very close by. Chris, let's talk a, a, a little bit about your work and uh, looking at employing the um, people with dementia. Or keeping them employed. Or keeping them employed. The You know, it's funny. The first time I started thinking about it, so I took an aging class at, at Fielding years ago, and we were talking about aging at work and how, what can we do to keep older employees working longer? And then the, the concept of dementia came up and subsequently Ronald Reagan's name, president Reagan's name came up and how he announced in 1994 that he had Alzheimer's. And I started thinking, well, wait a minute, here's the leader of the free world um, who has dementia a few years after he left office. And then we started thinking, talking about maybe dementia already starts in the brain years before symptoms occur or symptoms are noticed. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, you know, if dementia affects cognitive abilities, cognitive functions, and here you have, you know, the president of the United States <laughs> making the big decisions affecting millions of people, as you were talking about, Bobby, earlier, um, how can we be comfortable that a person with dementia or possible dementia is making the right decisions? Well, I have to tell you, Chris, that, you know, long before he made that announcement, I was telling Mike, there's something wrong with him. And it's going to come out when he's out of office. And I'm sure that lots of people were compensating for him. Yeah. And they did a, they did a, they did a good job. Yeah, they did, <laughs> yeah, they did because I, I certainly didn't pick up on it, although I knew nothing about it, really nothing about Alzheimer's at the time that happened. Um, and... I remember thinking then, well, wait a minute, if, if the president of the United States has something like this, what about CEOs of organizations of companies that are responsible for you know, thousands of employees and, and you know, uh, so many people rely on the financial stability of these multi-billion dollar companies? How do we know that these people are making the right decisions? And then I started thinking, well, never mind these senior executives, what about regular people who have dementia and, and don't even know it and, and are struggling at work. And so that's how I got involved. And, and I said, I want to find out more about this. And the more I started digging into the Alzheimer's and dementia, the more confused I got. And then I realized that, you know, it's a very controversial and complex topic. And experts still can't agree on the, on the root causes of dementia and Alzheimer's and um so it's not a it's not an easy uh, s syndrome to to understand, and even with the new medication, Aduhelm that just came out, um, there's so much controversy surrounding not only 
the effectiveness of the drug, but the processes that went went through FDA approval, we're just sort of, I feel, we're spinning our wheels sometimes. So um, it's not an easy concept. So it's even more complicated when you talk about um, working with employees or coworkers who have dementia because everyone's dementia is different. Everyone experiences dementia differently and you never really know what can happen. And if you think about it from a safety perspective, you want to protect not only the employee, but also the employees um, working with that employee who has dementia. So um, there's a lot of risks, uh, especially uh, for managers to think about when an employee comes to you and says, listen, I have dementia, I can still do my job, I just want to let you know. There might be some, you know, some things I need help with, or I might need some time to, you know, do whatever. Um, first thing a lot of employees think about is, I don't know if I can ha- we can handle the risk if we want to take on this liability. And so I think, I think there's not enough education. Absolutely. I don't think employers and organizations have been educated. I don't think they're even thinking about um, employees with dementia. I don't think there's any, I don't see evidence of any policies uh, procedures, protocols for employees with dementia. And I, you know, from, from everything that I've read and people that I've talked to, I mean, if you're telling an employer you've got dementia, the answer is, well, you know, we don't want to take the risk. Let's find an exit strategy or, you know, they just keep a close eye on it. And if things start unraveling a little bit, um, they, uh, they terminate the employee. Otherwise employees, don't want to disclose Absolutely. that they have dementia. They're afraid they're going to lose their jobs. And if you're, if you have early onset dementia, and you're in your 40s or 50s, and you're at the height of your earning power, and raising a family, and you've got a spouse that works, you know, to lose your job to a to a disease that's progressive, it's not going to get better. It might mean your spouse needs to leave their job so they can care for you. It's a reduction of income. Healthcare benefits without coverage, costs are going to go through the roof. Well, um, you know, it's, it's kind of an interesting segue because I was on your webpage and I saw there's three types of employees in the workplace affected by dementia. And I thought that was pretty poignant and if you would please share with our listeners the three types of employees in the workplace. So we have uh, the employee who's actually um, diagnosed with dementia, who is struggling with the symptoms, trying to keep their jobs, trying to be effective. Yeah, to be to be effective and, and developing. Uh, strategies and, and, and coping mechanisms and, um, uh, you know, doing whatever they can, they may not even realize that they have dementia. You know, the other, the other employees affected by it are the supervisors. They are the ones who have to make a decision on what's going on with the employee, even if they don't know what it is. Um, probably putting together a performance improvement plan or putting them on some type of um, uh, status where they can keep an eye on their performance um, and eventually be the ones responsible for making a decision whether the employee stays 
the jobs have to change or they terminate the employee. And then there are the employees who are not necessarily diagnosed with dementia, but become caregivers for partners who have dementia. And so, you know, those are the, those are the three, generally speaking, types of employees. And the ones that are caregivers, um, you know, they may need a lot of time off. And as we were talking about caregiver burden earlier, um, that's a lot of stress on somebody. And, you know, it's not always easy leaving work at work and leaving home at home. I mean, they're pretty much intertwined for many of us. And so being stressed at home, um, dealing with everything that you need to deal with and having to come to work and being expected to perform optimally um, can be extremely difficult for many caregivers who are working. So that's what I was referring to, um, you know, on, on, on my blog about uh, the three different types of employees. You know, it, it's interesting because at the height of taking care of my dad, I had a wonderful, wonderful supervisor who was very understanding and, and of, of the situation. And I also had a team that I supervised who were very, very understanding of the situation. So unlike most people, I had a, a, a core support above me and a core support below me. Now, that had nothing to do with any employee assistance programs because there were none. This was just people out of their goodness of their heart that I was blessed to be around. But anytime I needed anything in, in any situation with my dad, all I had to do was go over to my boss and say, hey, Kevin, you know, I got this thing going on with my dad. He's, and he would look at me and say, well, what are you doing standing there? Go, <laughs> go take care of the situation. We'll talk about it later. You go deal with what you got to deal with. Um, and so I was truly, truly blessed with people above me and subordinate to me that were very understanding. And I know um, that's not the case in probably the vast majority of the situations of the caregiver employee. Well, one thing we have to consider when we're talking about this issue is employees want to keep or employers want to keep their employees. And the best way to do that is to educate the HR departments on both of these issues. The support that the caregiver needs, whether that's a caregiver support group that they can go to at lunchtime, whether it's a dementia adult daycare center, you know, for the larger employees, whatever that might be, or being flex time when they need it. And then also, you know, put in place support systems for those who can do, can and want to continue to do some type of work. Chris, have you talked to any of the employers about this in your research? Not to the employers. My, from, I, I'm approaching this from an employee perspective because I want to hear from the employees and what they're going through. The, the idea is to then collect that data, maybe expand the research at some point, and then bring it to the employers and say, listen, this is what employees are saying. Um, and how can this be helpful to you? Can you use this to better understand what employees are going through, might be going through that you haven't even thought about yet? Um, so that's further for me, that's further down the road, but I do plan on continuing in this area because I think it's very important. I think it's very important from 
just a perspective of today, we currently, we, you know, there's a very big, there's a big employment gap. I mean, companies can't find people. So hanging on to your people, you know, as long as you can, and of course, as long as they can still, you know, do the work, um, I think is very important. And this is one way not to just terminate people because they have a condition, but find ways to work with them. How can people get in touch with you to be part of your research, or do you have enough people already? No, um, I, I'm always happy to talk to people and interview people. Um, the study is ongoing. Um, they can reach me on my phone number. It's My cell phone is 203-510-3470. Again, 203-510-3470. And they can reach me by email as well. And that's uh, C-H-R-I-S, that's Chris, C-H-R-I-S-Z, as in zebra, P as in Peter, at live, L-I-V-E dot com, Chris Zip at live dot com. And um, happy to schedule a time to work around their schedule. And uh, the interviews typically take about an hour. Um, I have a, you know, a form of questions that I ask, and it's really about the experience of being an employee and having dementia. And it's really as much as the participants want to talk about. And um, We'll put that link on our website. Yeah, we will put that information on oh, the that'd website. Be, that'd be great. That'd be very helpful. And there's, you know, there's not a lot of this type of work being done in this country. In the U.S., we're not seeing a lot of this research. We're seeing a lot of it in, in Europe, in Sweden, uh, U.K., Australia, Canada, uh, but not much coming out of the U.S. And I was talking to a researcher in Sweden um, who said we would love to hear what people in the U.S. are saying about this because, because we're hearing nothing from you guys. You guys have all the technology. You're so advanced, but no one's talking about employees with dementia. I mean, there are some. There are pockets. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I mean, Wisconsin, state of Wisconsin is a very vibrant um, uh, employee connection with uh, helping support employers. Uh, who have employees with dementia. And there's pockets throughout the country. There's some dementia-friendly environments where organizations can sign up and get some training, get their managers and supervisors training on how to deal with employees with dementia, but also how to deal with customers with dementia. Um, uh, so there's some very interesting you know, ways to, to address this topic. Um, we're just not seeing it a lot in the U.S. One of the other things that I saw on your, your website that I thought was pretty interesting. And Bobby talks about this a lot, but you have an umbrella on the website ah, yeah. and it says dementia. And then underneath it or, uh, is all the different types of dementia. And I thought that was a great illustration of what Bobby has been putting into words for, uh, what, 10 years now? Yeah. Uh, that uh, people just don't understand that there's, that many different flavors of dementia and that they're all different and the treatments are all different if there are treatments. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things when I, when I was drawing that umbrella and I put down all the different dementias, I'm like, man, that's so like disheartening. Yes. And then I started thinking, well, wait a minute. And I just happened to finish a book by, um, uh, Tom Kitwood, you remember Tom Kitwood, who was a psychologist back in the 90s, wrote uh, Dementia Reconsidered. He wrote about personhood, and uh, very easy to read. He's passed since. He's been gone for quite some time now, but he wrote a great book called Dementia Reconsidered, 
And uh, the book was actually re-released. A bunch of his students and some colleagues um, uh, re-released the book and added their own comments to it. But I also I wanted to add under the umbrella some some positive words such as personhood, hope, love, uh, friendship, because those are all impacted, affected by dementia. That person is still there. That person that we knew, that we loved, is still there. And from time to time, even in, in moderate to severe cases, that person, that personality shines through sometimes. Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. Moments of clarity, I called them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and we can't forget that. That even when the times are tough and they're not making sense to us, there are, that person is still in there, and they need love, and they need friendship, they need engagement. You know, social. You know, one of the things that we talk about uh, is that social interaction is so important for the brain. And that stimulating environment, you talking to people, being with people, even though it may be confusing for a lot of uh, people with dementia, but that is still a very important part. Uh, living in the now, living for today, they, they may not remember who they were with. They may not remember conversations before that moment, for those 30 minutes, half an hour, two hours, they enjoyed their time. It meant that there was meaning behind it. And I think we need to remember that as well. And the same with, with, with the workplace. It's not just about performing tasks. It's about being with others, engaging with others at work. And not only is that good for, mental, for your mental health, it's also something that is needed. And people, when talk about preventive measures, social engagement is considered one of those factors that can help prevent, reduce, slow down symptoms of dementia, uh, it's, it's one of those important brain stimulating type of, you know, activities and environments. So, um, it's, uh, there's a lot to, there's a lot to be said for having that social interaction with others. Absolutely. And, um, you know, as we get close to closing, um, I, I really like the idea or what you just shared about people living with dementia. So often we hear people who are really not understanding it, suffering with dementia. These people are living. There are many things that they, they enjoy. They enjoy music. They, oh, they love pets. They love yes. children. Um, yes. And when you least expect it, all of a sudden there will be a connection made and a, and a memory shared that becomes one of the precious things that you hold on to after you've lost them. I agree. Well, Chris, it's been wonderful having you on the show and really appreciate you taking the time to, to sit and talk with us. Well, I'm very thankful for the opportunity you've given me to talk to you, um, to share my research. Uh, this is very important and um, it means a lot to me. So, uh, Mike and Bobby, thank you very much for the opportunity. And I look forward to staying in touch with you, and uh, hopefully we'll get you some more people for your study. Yeah, and then maybe we can have a conversation about the results and what people have said. So Absolutely. I'm happy, awesome. happy, to, happy to share. That would be awesome. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Thank you very much. So I was very interested to learn that there's a, I'm going to be looking into information on what Wisconsin is doing to support uh, people in the workplace with dementia. Yeah, that was interesting. Um, one thing that, that got me was his comment 
uh, towards the end where it says, they may not remember the moment tomorrow or the next day, but in that moment, they felt good. Yes, absolutely. And if we keep that in mind, to give them those moments, and whether they remember them or not, that 10 minutes, that 5 minutes, that 25 minutes, that makes them feel good. And that's what we're here for as their caregivers, besides providing the great care. You know, that reminded me of a, of a photograph I put on uh, my one of my social media pages of somebody looking really grumpy and grouchy and I and I had posted if you if you walk into the room that you're caring for and you see this face do a silly dance and it may not it may not help them feel better but you'll feel better but I bet it will and I had such a response to that oh I never thought of that and people were doing it and and you know telling me hey all of a sudden this person smiled so yeah and again that moment they feel good. That is so awesome. You can find more information about Chris on our show website at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That. I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we are dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. So please subscribe to the show, go to iTunes, post a review, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question or issue you'd like for us to address, please post on the Roger That Facebook page. To find out more about us, head over to rogerthat.show. That's roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that.show. Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast raising the bar on craft cocktails. Here you meet interesting folks, enjoy boozy banter, and learn how to make craft cocktails from a master. And if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies and all those in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe, download, and review the shows as your review helps our show reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company.